Okay, now wait, hold on, hold on. Don't start visiting. Help! All right, ladies, here we go. Are you um, ready this morning to dig in to First uh, Peter 1? Everybody say yes. Yes, I'm ready. Okay. And I want you to know that um, if you need to get up right now and turn your chair because you're, you know, you're not facing me in an easy way to see the slides and listen, that doesn't bother me in the least. Just stand right up and move the furniture. Okay, so as I was preparing First Peter um, 1 through 12, I want you to know that I was struck by how much is in these 12 verses. And this is sort of how the book of First Peter, Second Peter, and the Johns are going to go this year. So you're going to have short sections of verses, but there's going to be a lot of really good stuff, even though it's not a long amount of scripture to read. So because there is so much in these verses, I decided I would just teach for the whole 90 minutes this morning. <laughs> Oh, they laugh, but they don't really know, do they? Okay, so let's start off this way. We all know that context is really important when we study scripture. And last week, Lisa did a great job of setting a whole lot of context for us around the book of First Peter. But I want us to look at a little bit more context in a slightly different fashion. I want us to start off by going back in time with the Apostle Peter to a day in his life where everything changed. It was a day after Jesus had been crucified, and it is now the third day after that's happened. And Peter has been spending all of his time with the apostles and other disciples, and they're all confused, and they're all trying to figure out exactly what has happened, that their Lord has died. And now it's the morning of the third day, and it's right around dawn, and Peter is with John, and they are running as fast as they can. They are running to the tomb. <clears throat> John is younger. He is faster. He gets there before Peter does, and as John gets into the tomb, he is amazed, as you can imagine, at what he sees, and he immediately turns to Peter and says, the Lord has risen. But Peter is standing there, and his eyes are adjusting to the darkness in this tomb because they've come out of the light. They're now in this, in this structure that is hewn out of rock. And he's looking at what's in front of him, and he's trying to process what he's seeing. Instead of a body, the only thing that is there are the stained linen wrappings that were around the body. And the face cloth that was around Jesus' head and face is rolled neatly up and set aside. John and Peter go back and forth because John keeps insisting he is risen. Peter is just trying to figure out what he's looking at. Had somebody stolen Jesus' body? 
is the big question in his mind. He knows that it cannot have been anyone who has been huddled up with him for the last two days. Who else would steal the body? And why would they do this? And if somebody else had stolen the body, why would they leave the burial clothes behind? Because who's going to run through town, even in the dead of night, with a naked corpse? <laughs> we laugh at that, but our minds would probably be processing similarly. Peter closes his eyes, and he remembers some of the words that Jesus spoke when Jesus said, if you tear down this temple in three days, I will raise it again. And then he remembers some words that Jesus spoke to him personally when he said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat and test your faith, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. As Peter hears those words again in his mind, think of the tears and the emotion that well up inside of him. He leans against the wall of the tomb. He looks at John and he says, he has risen. Indeed, he has. And at that moment, Peter is changed forever. He was changed before that, but now changed has an exclamation point. For the next 30 years, Peter does exactly what Jesus said he would do. He teaches, he preaches, he strengthens his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he leads others to faith in Jesus. And now when we come in to this first chapter of 1 Peter, Peter is older, he's lived a good number of years, and he sits down to write this letter. And as he sits down to write this letter, he's writing to a group of believers that live in what we know as modern-day Turkey. But the truth is, he's not only writing to them. He's writing to you and me. These words are the inspired word of God, which means that they were not only crafted and inspired by the Holy Spirit for first-century believers they were written and inspired for us as well. Peter writes in words that are vivid and intense and urgent because he writes as an eyewitness. He writes telling a story on which he is an expert. He has seen all of this. He knows all of it to be true. So let's look back for just one minute at the slide that Lisa showed us last week. And remember she told us about this progression that we're going to see this year in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to see what our identity is, where our hope lies, and then we're going to talk about how that affects the way we live and the influence that we have on other people. This morning we're going to focus the most on identity and hope. Now I want to tell you that in these first 12 verses, there is a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, theological weight in these verses. But that doesn't mean that they're hard to understand. It simply means that there's a lot of important truth in these first 12 verses. So I want us to start off 
And we're going to think about two key ideas this morning. The first one is that we know these people. We really do know these people. And I want us to talk through how it is that we know them so well. So they're living in countries or areas that are named for us in this passage, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And what we know is if we were to find those on a map, just like the one that you have in your workbook, it would be as though we were traveling through Turkey today and we were visiting all of those areas. It's mostly Gentiles that he's writing to, some Jews, but this is a place that is probably not their first home. It's not the place where they were born and raised. So Peter calls them foreigners. They stand out in a way where they're not like the culture around them. Likely, they do not hold citizenship in this area, so they don't um, experience some of the same privileges that the true citizens do. They are viewed with suspicion. They're mistreated. They're looked on with contempt and hostility because they don't think like everybody else thinks. Now, I have to tell you what. These people are just like you and me. Don't think that as you read 1 Peter that you're reading about believers who lived in this totally different time. Their life was so different than yours. Nothing could possibly be the same because actually nothing could be further from the truth. We are foreigners. Maybe you've never thought of yourself that way. Maybe that's a new label. But the truth is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't feel completely comfortable here. We struggle with unfair, ungodly authority in our lives. We have compromising leaders around us in the workplace, in government, in education. Just as they were disrespected for some of the things that they believed and the way they lived their lives, we are disrespected. For those things. And within our culture, we are viewed as out of step with what's going on. Last week, I saw a TikTok post from a political, I don't spend a lot of time on TikTok, but this came up, uh, this came up in a news report that I was watching. And I, and I almost watched in, with kind of some unbelief as I saw what was going on. But anyway, it was a political commentator, a female, and in one 60-second TikTok post, she labeled all Christians as irrelevant. She proclaimed that she despises Jesus, that she believes that every one of us has views that are totally inconsistent with her life. She wants us to shut up, is what she said. Now, she is one of many who hold that view. She is one of many who rail against what you and I believe. And unfortunately, in our culture today, many people are listening to her as a source of information and guidance and wisdom, and they decide to agree. So if you don't think you're living in a foreign country, now you do. And remember this, however, we may be foreigners here in an earthly sense, but part of our new identity in Jesus Christ is that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven.
And we are not foreigners there today, and we will never be foreigners in that kingdom. God himself has become our father. Now, just like those early Christians, we experience some suffering for the sake of Christ. There are people, you know, every, don't all of us like to be liked? We generally want the people around us to think we're okay, right? But there are a lot of people who don't like us. They don't like what we stand for. They don't like how we want to raise our children. They don't like the things we participate in. But you know what? It's all perfectly fine because we have a completely different identity than that. In verse Peter 2, or in the first chapter, verse 2, Peter reminds us that God chose us, that he knew us from the beginning, that we would be his children, and he cleansed us with deep affection. He tells us over and over again in the New Testament that we are highly valued. So in verse 2, it says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That is the gospel in a nutshell. It was God's plan from the beginning that Jesus would come, he would die, and that those who believed in him as Savior and Messiah would be changed and transformed. Every member of the Trinity is represented in that verse. God chose us, the Son died for us and redeemed us, and the Spirit continually changes us and grows us, and they do that work in complete unity. Nowhere will you hear Peter say in either of his letters that your identity and your value comes from your ancestry, your background, your social status, your wealth or your poverty, or your education. Those things are all part of the old you. The things that matter now are the way you have been changed since you confessed your faith in Jesus Christ. You moved from your old self to be a brand new person, and it's a wonderful thing, and that is your new identity. In 2 Corinthians 5, 15, and then 17, it says this, Paul wrote this, that Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And then he goes on to say this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So the bottom line is, we are new. You are new. You have a new identity. So see, you do know these people. They experienced pressures just like you do. Maybe the details were a little different. They shared the same faith that you share today in the Lord Jesus Christ. They worshiped him as their God and their Savior just like you do. And they had their identity in God as his children just as we do. Now, the next thing we want to talk about is we want to talk about that we know the guy. And I want you to get the emphasis on that. I grew up in the state of Ohio where we have the Ohio State University. Don't you love it when they say that on television? That cracks me up. The Ohio. Anyway, that was, that was free. That was an aside. Okay, so what I want you to think about next is we know the guy. 
But we often hear a phrase in our culture, I know a guy. I, I know a guy who can replace your roof. I know, a, I know a guy. I know a plumber who can come over and solve that problem. And this is one of my favorite movie clips from Ocean's Eleven that illustrates I know a guy. Anybody pulls any job in the Western United States, he knows about it. You give me 72 hours, I'll find out who took your money. You know a guy. <laughs> I love the look on um, Andy Garcia's face right there. I love when he goes, you know a guy. Well, I have to tell you, sometimes it is good to know a guy. I was in Dallas a few years ago at a leaders meeting for community Bible study, and we got off the plane. There were three of us together, and we went down to baggage claim, and the other suitcases came around and around, and mine did not. It's not a good feeling. I had a, I had a presentation to give the next morning, so... I needed a little, you know, makeup and clothes and stuff. And um, so anyway, so we went on to the hotel, and I checked the website regularly, and I had submitted my information and everything, and the website said, your bag will come tonight. So I waited and waited all night long, you know, for the knock on the, the bag did not come. And so um, the next day, I got up, and I was wearing the same pants and the same undergarments and but I borrowed a shirt from a friend who is five foot seven or so so I'll let you figure that out I was wearing somebody else's makeup so I was I was sort of put together but it was a team effort that morning and at breakfast the manager of the hotel came over to me and she said I understand that your bag never arrived yesterday and I said that's correct and she said well listen I know a guy <laughs> and um, she said he works for American Airlines I think I can get this resolved for you ladies within like an hour and a half my bag we were in Dallas I mean this was the Dallas the DFW airport within an hour or hour and a half my bag was at the hotel I thought I want to know this guy. <laughs> so, you know, knowing a guy can change things. But when you leave here today, I don't want you to be thinking, I know a guy. I want you to be thinking, I know the guy. And here's how I want us to think about this for a minute. If you've got your Bible in front of you or if you've got it on your phone or wherever, um, please look with me at verses 3 through 10. It says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. In many Bibles right there, it says, Now we live with a great hope. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you 
by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Now, here's what I want you to see in these verses that follows along with, you know the guy, right? Those verses, hello, promise us some um, important things. Yo, Tammy, what's happening? I'm sorry, I felt coming through my computer. Hello? Okay. All right. So here is what those verses tell us. First of all, he gives us a living hope. You know, hope in our culture can be a really nonchalant kind of idea. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope we win the game. I often say to Jeff at home, I hope we win the lottery. Of course, I haven't actually bought a ticket, but you know, when those big jackpots come up, you know, and you just think, anyway, but all of those things are just wishful thinking. They are not living hope. Living hope in Jesus Christ is on a whole other level. It is grounded on the reality of Christ and his resurrection. And it is grounded in the reality that we too will be raised as Jesus was raised to a new heaven and a new earth. It says that in Revelation 21, 15. He promises us a permanent inheritance. Have you ever arrived at a hotel and you've got the confirmation on your phone and you're ready to check in and you walk up to the desk and there's this look on the person's face behind the computer that tells you they're not seeing it. And your reservation has vanished. It's gone. And you're just hoping there's another room somewhere in that hotel. Well, I want to tell you what, this will never happen with your reservation in glory when you know Jesus Christ is your Lord. Your reservation was purchased by his blood and confirmed by his resurrection. On the day of Christ's return, nobody will ask to see your confirmation number or your credit card. He provides divine protection. It tells us that in verse 5, that we are protected by the power of God. So no matter what we may be experiencing in our lives, suffering or calm, no matter what it is, even if we're thinking, how long, O oh Lord, can this go on? No matter the depth of our pain, God is in control. He is all-powerful. He is all-good. He is always protecting, and we can trust him regardless of our circumstances. Oop. 
Tammy, I need to go to the next slide. Okay, there we go. He develops our faith. Now, here's one thing you're going to see in the book of 1 Peter. Peter will never play down the fact that you will suffer. It's just life on earth. But what he will tell you over and over again is that you can rejoice in the midst of it. It says here in these verses, you'll remember, that our faith will be tested and refined like gold. Now, why is gold refined in a fire? Today, gold is either refined by heat or it is refined by acid and chemicals. But the reason for either of those processes is to remove the impurities from the gold so that it is pure and brilliant and valuable. So basically what Peter is saying here is you're going to be tested to remove the impurities from your life so that you become pure and more valuable. He has given us a magnificent Savior. Further down in that passage, it says that we will receive praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Now, Peter saw the Savior firsthand. He knew this magnificent Savior. Don't forget that. And although we can't see him today the way Peter saw him in the first century, we are assured in verse 8 right here that by believing in Jesus, we will have an inexpressible joy and receive the salvation of our souls. Remember that Peter would have stood in the room with the apostle Thomas when after the resurrection, Thomas had not yet seen Jesus. And he said to all the rest of the apostles, I'm not going to believe this until I see the scars in his hands and the wound in his side. And what happened in the 20th chapter of John? Very shortly after Thomas made that comment, Jesus appeared. And he showed Thomas the scars in his hands and the wound in his side and Thomas said, now I believe. But Jesus says right at that moment, after that occurs, he looks at all of them and says, listen, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe. That's you and me, girls. And finally, he rewards us with a guaranteed deliverance. Remember, this is the guy. He rewards you with a guaranteed deliverance. He guarantees the salvation of your soul. He will save you physically and emotionally on this earth in trials and difficulties. But even at death, God promises that you will be faithfully delivered. My prayer for you this morning is that you will, you're probably not going to be able to remember all six of these things. So that's not my goal. My prayer is that you will remember that you can always go back to the first chapter in 1 Peter and be reminded <clears throat> of your salvation and of all the things that God has done in his promises to you and that you will think, I know the guy. So finally, in the last 
<clears throat> three verses right here. It just goes on to say that what we know today, the prophets couldn't fully grasp or understand as they talked and wrote about it in the Old Testament. They longed to understand completely what you and I can know today. And so profound are these truths, I love this next part, that even the angels long to see and understand them as we do. What a gift we have. So as we finish up today, um, I'll just ask this. I don't know if you're in the midst of a storm right now or if your waters are calm, but when we become believers, the storms of life certainly don't go away. Sometimes it feels like a rainy day. Sometimes it feels like a hurricane. But in either situation, just stay on this focus. You know the guy. You know the master of the wind and the waves who is sitting beside you in your small boat, manning the helm and keeping you on an even keel. And his promises are always true. Let me pray for us before you go to your groups. Father, we thank you and bless your name this morning. Lord, we are privileged and grateful to be able to study your word and to know you more fully and to understand more fully the gift that you have given us in our salvation. And so, Lord, we just ask this morning that you will bless our conversations that you will help us to learn more about you, that you will help us to share and express to each other what we believe about you. And Father, we will give you all the praise and all the glory for the way that you grow us and mature us in faith today. And we pray all of this in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>